Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Kylie Camps and welcome to the podcast. This space is dedicated entirely to making a difference in the lives of women. I believe we all have a right and a responsibility to truly live our best lives. It all begins with curiosity, changing our thinking and cultivating more self-love. Through thoughtful conversations and shared experiences, I really hope that you can take something away from this podcast. I'm a business owner, a speaker, a sleep consultant, and mum of twin boys. I've also recently completed some training in the cognitive behavioral therapy space, and I'm super, super passionate about the ability that we all have to really improve our days. And ultimately, when we take ownership of improving our days, we're really improving our whole life. So let's get stuck into today's episode. Welcome to episode 58. I really, really enjoyed this conversation that I had with today's guest. I think you'll enjoy listening to it as well. Before we dive into it and before I tell you about today's guest, I wanted to say today's episode is brought to you by one of my favorite, actually it is my favorite skincare brand, and that is Esme. I've been an avid and loyal user of Esme products for years now, and a question came through on Instagram today asking if I'm tempted to stray from Esme, and I have to say, I just love their products so, so, so much that I'm not even tempted to stray at all when it comes to skincare. Their masks, cleansers, and skin treats are seriously incredible. I'm a huge, huge fan of the anti-aging cleanser and the 24 karat gold skin treat. There is a skin treat for every single skin concern out there. So jump on over to their website after you've listened to today's episode and use the code KCPOD, all in capitals, for 10% off the entire Esme range. I'll pop those details in the show notes as well, but that code again is KCPOD, all in caps. So today's guest is the beautiful Chrissy of Her Nourished and Her Nourished Kids. It's an online space dedicated to supporting families with young children through mealtimes. Chrissy is university qualified in psychology, certified in early childhood nutrition, and an author of three kid-friendly whole food recipe books. She's also the creator of online programs for children aged 0 to 6 years. Chrissy has a special interest in fussy eating and fostering healthy relationships with food, and she is known for her easy and achievable mealtime strategies and non-judgmental support both at mealtimes and through every area of motherhood. Chrissy is someone that I have personally been fortunate enough to meet a couple of times in real life, and she is just a sparkly human. (laughs) That is how I would describe Chrissy. She's got such a beautiful, kind, caring, and just 
true, truly genuine energy surrounding her. And in today's conversation, we really speak about her journey as a mum in creating her whole brand because what she's been able to create whilst having a really young family is nothing short of magical and she's doing a brilliant job. So today she shares things like how she started building her brand, how she manages the everyday nitty gritty of having three young children and also hustling on the side as well as studying. We talk about our pasts. There's so much in this chat and I really think that you'll enjoy it. So without further delay, here is my chat with Chrissy. Thank you so much for taking some time out of one of your only child-free moments to spend with us today, Chrissy. I really, really appreciate it. Um, Let's dive straight in because I know that we're kind of on limited time today. So can you please share with us a little bit about who you are now? Sure. And thank you so much. It is an honor to be on here because you've created such a beautiful space for women to learn and grow. So I feel really honored to be a part of that. Um, where I am today, I'm a mum. I'm trying to not use the word busy. Um, a mum with a very full life, a mum to three. So I have, um, yeah, three little kids. One is the same age as your boys, which just blows my mind. I feel, yeah, feels crazy. I have a three and a half year old little girl and also a 16 month old who is full of energy and life. Um, so it keeps me very very full, very, very, um, yeah. It's so hard hard not to say the (laughs) word busy. (laughs) I keep going to gravitate towards it, but I'm like, you know what? I need to change my language around this word. Um, yeah. And I also have my own business. So when I'm not mothering, I am, yeah, I guess working on that and growing that. So yeah, there's lots, lots going on, but there's also, I think I'm trying to find more space in my, in my life at the moment to, yeah, I guess look at other other areas that I enjoy as well. Which is so important. So can you give a little bit more information surrounding what your business is? Because I know personally I'm often sending women who follow along and ask me questions about this topic. I send them to you because your content is amazing on this. So tell us about your business. Thank you so much. So yes, so it started as something else, but where it is now, I really feel so connected and passionate to what I share. And it's really helping families navigate through mealtimes. And I guess I share some of the motherhood as well, but in a non-judgmental way, um, I think, you know, you and I might relate in that sleep and mealtimes are probably two of the most challenging parts of parenting young children um there's so many complexities and there's so much information out there sometimes misinformation as well so i guess i've become really passionate about sharing evidence-based information in the mealtime space but in a realistic way so yeah it's basically her nourished kids is like your little resource hub if you've got kids you're you've got mealtimes sharing particularly the behaviors behind mealtimes rather than just the food because like I've said to so many people, if they say, um, you know, where should I start? Should I start with this recipe? If the basics aren't there, then it really doesn't matter what you're making. So yeah, starting with the behaviors at mealtimes is where we are at. And I think that's such a blend of your skill set because not only are you a certified nutrition and health coach, you're also um, studying, I understand, psychology. 
so I'm quite, I have a bachelor degree with honors in psychology. So that was my 10 years ago, my um, psychology major. Um, and I'm at, back at uni doing um, nutrition, postgrad nutrition. So I have early um, certified early childhood nutrition, but I really wanted to have that university degree alongside psychology. So yes, it's a nice blend. And I, yeah, it's um, perhaps, you know, there's such a, I think it's nice when there's so many ways you can use both psychology and nutrition to come together and blend them together because there's, they're so interlinked and intertwined. And I think using one without the other does a disservice to mealtimes. So, yes. Oh, absolutely. I could not agree more. I was having this conversation just on Friday with a lady that I do the breathworks class with. And I was saying to her, psychology and food and eating and emotions, and it's all so so connected and interwoven in particular for us as women but definitely when it comes to kids and trying to encourage them to try new foods and you know exactly like you said you can have the best recipe in the world you can put the best meal in front of a child but if the foundation isn't there for them to feel safe to explore they might not you know some kids are just predispositioned to be that little bit fussier so I know that we're not using the word busy, but you sound <laughs> super, super busy. I'm just going to say it. Um, but it sounds amazing as well. And I know that it probably feels like a whole other lifetime ago. But if you cast your mind back, what were you like pre-kids? What was life like for Chrissy before you had your first child? Such an interesting question, and it really does feel like such a lifetime ago. Um, you know, it was only seven years ago. I almost feel like I was a different person then because I think with motherhood, there's so much growth, so much personal growth that comes with it. Um, but yeah, pre kids, I was so I grew up in New Zealand. I studied psychology, like I said, at university in um, New Zealand. I that's where I met um, my now husband as well, Anthony, and I we moved over here, which I will talk about in a little bit. But um, I was in a very high stress job pre kids, and also um, when I first had Luca, my oldest, I went back part time. So yeah, very high stress, but very um, like a frontline, emotionally draining job. I definitely would say that I was more of a perfectionist or um yes I I struggled more with perfectionism pre-kids than I do now and yeah I I also look back and I wonder what I did with all my little pockets of free time (laughs) but yeah that was really life pre-kids for Chrissy um yeah I enjoyed what I did but yeah very high stress job very stressful and I remember reading on one of your Instagram posts that 10 years ago you made a decision that would change the whole trajectory of your life can you talk a little bit about that yes and it's one that I've reflected on a lot lately because it's really given me evidence and proof that I can make hard decisions and that it turns out okay so um, a little bit of a backstory. 10 years ago like I said I just graduated from um, a psychology degree I did a four-year degree, so um, it was a final honours year, and my whole goal in life was to be a psychologist. That's all I wanted to be was a clinical psychologist, and 
to do that, I'm not sure what it's like in Australia, but in New Zealand, you have to be accepted into a clinical program and you have to apply. They only take, I think it's like 10 to 12 people per year. So it's highly sought after and very, um, yeah, I guess, I don't know if I'd say challenging to get into, but yeah, small amount of people get into it. And to give a, more of a backstory as to why this decision was so, um, I guess, important to where my life is now is that the year prior, so three years into my psychology degree, you can apply to go into clinical. I applied and I didn't get in. And this really took a knock to my confidence. Um, my, you know, that was my for a perfectionist. <laughs> that was my dream. Um, yeah. So, and the silly thing looking back now is I don't, I, I don't know many year three psychology students who got in. Um, it was really that, that fourth year that was really important. Um, so I worked my little bum off. I got incredibly high grades, um, perhaps to my own emotional well-being, um, which is ironic when you are studying psychology. But I ended up, you know, I graduated with a, a first class honours, so very high marks. I got an interview and I got into that clinical program. So I was set up to go into clinical psychology the following year. But my husband and I, well, my boyfriend at the time, and I went to Australia for a working holiday. We stayed with his sister. We knew no one here. And we were maybe three weeks out from going back, from going back to um, New Zealand, going back to study this post-grad psychology. And... It really made me look at, at the time, um, I was really struggling with my my well-being in terms of an eating disorder, and I'd open up about it, and I was really at this place where I, I was like, I don't think this is the right decision. I, I know this is everything that I wanted in my life, but I don't feel like it's the right decision for me. And I knew externally that people would be like, what are you doing? Are you crazy? Like, you're turning down this career opportunity. Um, but for me, it was the right thing to do. And I think, like I said, looking back on it now, I can see now that I can make those hard decisions and it can work out in the best possible way. You know, I look back now and I think if I had made the decision to go back, I would have been graduating at say 25. That was the, the year I was 25 when I had Luca. I just, it, yeah, it blows my mind. It's just completely changed the trajectory of my life. Um, kind of like a sliding doors moment, yes. isn't it? Where you can see, okay, on one hand, I could have taken this path and that's where I could be. But on the other hand, look how amazing it's turned out, even though yeah. it was super hard yeah. to make that yeah. choice, and I imagine. Exactly. And I still remember, like I remember sending my email off to say I'm not accepting it. Like I, I had accepted it, but I'm not going to go through with it. Um, you know, I hope that the person that gets a position is excited about it. Um, I remember telling my mum and her going, okay, like she's always been my biggest supporter and she's never said anything otherwise. But I knew, I knew she was thinking in her head, like, what are you doing? This is crazy. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's just, it's it's been proof to me over and over again in my life that I can make those hard decisions and that it works out. So and so when you were in the midst of making that hard decision, for you, was it like a pros and cons list? Like, were you kind of like, okay, I could go down this path or I could go down that path? Or was it more an emotional kind of breakthrough of going, you know what, here I am studying psychology, but I'm actually mentally and emotionally not in a great place. Was it more of an emotional decision or was it more logical for you? both because I think I have that logical perfectionist brain so I do <laughs> need to weigh things up in that way as well but 
also very emotional. And I think at that time, like I was in a really good place with my, I was really starting to heal my relationship with food. And I knew that if I went back into this incredibly high stress environment, ironically, I go and get a high stress job in Australia. But I knew if I went into that at that time when I was just, just coming out of, you know, I just admitted to myself and to others that I was struggling. And I knew if I went back into this environment, I was putting myself in a position where, um, you know, I, I could have been triggered again and I, I just didn't, yeah, it was like, I guess a, a toss between the two and I, I just didn't feel like it was that right decision for me right then. So amazing to have that awareness and to also, you know, for lack of a better expression, pull the trigger on it and follow through and go, yep, okay, this is what I'm doing. It's a big one. Mm-hmm. It is. Absolutely. <laughs> and so to fast forward a little bit, you now have a really loyal and growing following online. And I personally, I love your content and it definitely appears to flow really easily for you in terms of what you share and the way that you communicate with your audience. But for those mums who are just at the very start of a business or perhaps just dipping their toes into the world of blogging or sharing, how did you actually start the business that you have now? What was the very, very first, action that you took was it starting your Instagram account was it creating a vision board I love this question I really had to think back to how it all started because it has really evolved and I think taking imperfect action is the key because you you grow and learn as you go Um, I think I actually started blogging and YouTube before social so YouTube would probably be my first social Um, I maybe had a personal Instagram account, but I can't really remember back then. But yeah, blogging, I think, and I I did a blogging course very early on. And that gave me such a good platform to grow from because that course, and um, I think it included photography. Um, It included like how to share posts, like how to share blog posts. It was like that really basic information that I think is now so valuable. And I also got to meet a group of others online who I still connect with now. And, you know, some aren't blogging anymore and some are doing exceptional things with their business. But I think that that sense of community really early on and that sense of support where we could support each other and ask questions was definitely key. So, yeah, I started with the the things that I loved and I, you know, before then I was even thinking I started, you know, I was pregnant with, with um, Luca at the time and it was, I loved, I got, I was gravitated towards reading mummy blogs and that's really what inspired me because, um, yeah, I just, I really loved consuming that content as well. Um, but yeah, to get to where I am now, I think it's just been, like I said, that process of learning and growing as I go, evolving, not being too stuck and set on um, specifics. Um, my core values, which I set really early on, have always been the same. But the way that I've shared that and the message and the, um, I guess, the key focus. So it's gone from supporting women to supporting kids or families. Um, that has shifted, but those core values have never shifted. So I'd say if you're starting, like, set to those core values early because that will help you when you're making decisions as you move and grow and evolve. Which I think is so super important because I can relate to that. You know, Mm. I've had the opportunity to go into all sorts of different avenues, but my core, the core purpose for what I want to create in the whole, I guess, scheme of the work that I do and the umbrella that it all sits under is making a difference. So whether it's making a difference with baby sleep or toddlers or an event for a woman 
or making a difference in terms of being able to create an amazing product that could make a difference in the life of a woman. Like I think that if you just, like you said, have those values, that purpose, that mission, but don't get caught up in the semantics of it has to look like ABC. It could look like so many different ways. And the other thing that you said that I was like, yes, is imperfect action is better than no action. Like doing, just doing something that's an eight out of 10 is better than create trying trying so hard to get yourself a 10 out of 10 and never getting there absolutely and I think you know like I said earlier I struggled with perfectionism so much previously and it's something I really had to work hard on because if I had waited for things to be perfect I'd still be sitting like there maybe waiting to push publish and I think, you know, it's, it's not dropping your standards, but just knowing that you're going to learn as you go and things are going to improve as you go. And a prime example of this, and I'm going to share this because if there's anyone out there going, you know, maybe, um, you know, maybe doubting themselves um, to know that I've got a, a spelling error on the front cover of a printed recipe book that is in many, many homes. And I look at it now and I could, you know, previously I think I would have looked at it going, oh my gosh, like what am I doing? The perfectionist in me. But now I look at it with some sort of pride because I'm like, you know what? People aren't there to look at that. Yes, it's not ideal, but it shows me that I took imperfect action and I did it anyway. And yeah. (laughs) 100% I am right there with you. Like our programs, there's been, you know, we would release the programs and every time, every single time, and we've rebranded three times now, yeah. one of the first things I'll get is this grammar's wrong, that there's spelling error here. And, like, yeah. it's gone through editors. And it's just like, oh, well, like, <laughs> fuck, fuck, that exactly. happened. But at the end yeah. of the day, I'm not doing brain surgery. Like, if the worst yeah. thing is that, you know, there's a bit of a human error, so be it. Exactly. Um, I think so it just shows love- that you are are human doesn't it yeah and <laughs> the I've real person your, behind it <laughs> I've got all of your books and I've never noticed so I mean I'm not the most observant but people don't <laughs> care that's not what they're there for that's so it. I love that you shared that thank you now something that you and I both have in common is a past and you mentioned this earlier that includes having an eating disorder and I don't know the ins and outs of your experience at all But I do feel that it's really common that people who have battled with eating disorders often end up still having a strong attachment to food. And I remember when I was going through recovery, it was mentioned to me that it's like a seven-year recovery, but you never really recover from from a lot of the thoughts and the impulses. You more so learn to live with them and manage them. But I guess in the best-case scenario a lot of people turn it into a positive relationship through studying or somehow staying in the realm of the food world. Like I have a girlfriend who is a nutritionist and she also had an eating disorder as well. Is this the case for you? Do you feel that your history with having disordered eating has impacted the attachment that you have to food and also to education and just, I guess, still surrounding yourself in that world? I think that's a brilliant, brilliant question. And um, I do think that when you look at, you know, some of these support services like Butterfly Foundation, you'll see that a big focus for them is people who have personally experienced it and then 
you know, moved through, recovered from and healed their relationship with food being a key part of recovery for others. So I think that's, yeah, very, um, you know, true observation. For me, it's really, like you said, it's shaped, it's shaped a lot of what I do in, uh, I, I would hope, a positive way. Um, because I think if you've never lived that experience, the importance and why it's so important isn't there for you, or perhaps you don't see it in the same way as others. And, you know, I, I think, you know, maybe people see if they don't know my history or don't know the background that my kids sit in, you know, if they have a baby chino, they have the marshmallow with it and people might go, but, but you're a health, you know, you're a health person, you promote health. But the thing for me is that it's really made me realize that health is not just what you put in your mouth. There's so many elements to health and having a healthy relationship with your body, with yourself, with food um, and emotional health is just as important as what you eat. So, um, yeah, for me, there's definitely things that I'm conscious of. For example, not labeling the way that I eat, um, which people get, I think people struggle with. And I understand because you like to put things in box and compartmentalize things. But, um, you know, for me, for example, I, I say primarily vegetarian because the minute I put a label on the way that I eat is the minute that I place myself in a box. And then that can trigger behaviors that, um, you know, I never want to bring up again. So for me, it's about, I think, conscious awareness of the language that I choose to use, um, the way that I portray things and ensuring that I guess I'm just being mindful yeah, that, that health is holistic and health's not just what you eat. Yeah, and I love that. And I'm exactly the same, Chrissy. And you and I, we could probably do a whole other episode talking about um, eating disorders or disordered eating, but I'm the same. I steer very clear from being like, I am this, this is how I eat, or, you know, putting myself in any sort of restrictive mode because whilst I'm really well and I have a great relationship with food and how I eat and I feel you know, I'm using air quotes here, recovered, I am still aware of, like you said, triggers and triggers for me can be feeling that restriction mindset. And that's why I'm the same as you, like with my kids, if they want a kinder surprise, they're not going to have it every day, but I'm going to mm -hmm. like allow it. And we have sweets in the house because I don't want there to be a, a mentality of restriction or deprivation because I have been you know, immersed in that world of really struggling with that balance. So balance is important to me as well. So I get you on that one. Absolutely. And yeah, just so important to be aware of your own triggers. Do you still struggle at all these days with your food intake and the control side of things at all? I don't. And I feel really proud to say that because it has been a really long journey. And I know for so many, you know, I still get messages you know t today and um people saying you know I've, I've heard your your journey and and how did you get to where you are and honestly I think it's time um it, it's a journey that is a very long one um support and knowing there are services out there to support you there are so many we're so lucky in Australia that there are so many amazing services whether you you know connect with a psychologist whether you use the the free platform like Butterfly Foundation that I mentioned earlier Beyond Blue the kids helpline um but I think it's really important to know that it does take time um one thing I would say is that while I don't struggle and um you know, with my relationship with food now, like I said earlier, I'm incredibly mindful of it. 
And I'm not afraid to mute, <laughs> mute on Instagram if I feel like something's triggering something inside of me. And, um, you know, sometimes you have to do that for your own well-being. Sometimes you need to look at what you're consuming and just be mindful. And I guess, yeah, that would be what I would say moving forward is that um, mindfulness is everything. I think you need to be mindful of your own triggers. Everyone's going to be triggered in different ways depending on what um, what was brought up for you in the past. So, yeah, I think it's just being incredibly mindful and you're always going to have to be mindful, I do believe, um, because I think once you've had had that in, a, in, in past, um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of learning that goes around it, I think, and I think you'd understand that as well. And, oh, yeah, I would Absolutely. Yeah. It's, for me, you know, it became a coping strategy. So, mm-hmm. it's ha- like you said, it's having that awareness of going, okay, if I'm not aware, if I'm not mindful, if I'm not putting strategies and systems in place to protect my wellness, there is the possibility that door could open, even though it's closed right now. Yeah. So I focus on X, Y, Z to make sure that I'm keeping my little mental health bubble safe. And it's different for everyone, you know. For you and I, it could be the disordered eating. For other people, it's alcohol. It's, mm-hmm. you know, <clears throat> there's so many different ways that we suffocate emotions or try and ascertain a sense of control. We all have our own different things. Exactly. But like you said, you've been able to really turn it into a positive and focusing on the fact that you have been in a place where you felt true, unhe- truly unhealthy. So you mm-hmm. now know how beautiful it feels to feel energized, to feel full, to be enjoying food again. So you don't take it for granted. Exactly. Exactly. I think just it changes, yeah, it changes your relationship with food, I think, moving forward because you have this mindfulness that you can you can feel really good and you can really enjoy all food and not eat something and go oh my god like I need to start my diet on Monday like it just it doesn't and I think people perhaps have that misconception that if you're in the health and wellness space you know perhaps it's the case for some people but that you'd never have a treat or you'd treat it as as a cheat meal but for me it's like everyday food now because obviously I have it mindfully and I you know I but I include things that would perhaps be considered for other people as an everyday food. So things like, you know, some chocolate in the evening or, um, you know, every other day and maybe I had something that I really enjoy that might not fit a perfect definition of health because by doing so I'm not setting limitations on how I can eat it. I'm not setting boundaries. I'm not saying I can never have chocolate and therefore crave it. So, yeah, I think mm. it's just that, that mindfulness and changing your your language and your perception around around how you eat and being mindful of the diet culture I definitely think yeah there's there's a lot of misinformation out there and it it can be really hard and it's not our fault we are marketed to so I think yeah we just need to be mindful of of the information out there and how it's serving us yeah definitely and diet culture has been on my mind a lot lately (laughs) excuse me and again it's something that we could definitely take a deep dive in another time um, because it is such a <laughs> such a black hole to go down that path. Like, <laughs> really so, so many different things we could touch on. But while I have you, you have three young children, a fly-in, fly-out husband. You study, you work, you have your brand, you have your business, you're creating content. How do you actually do it? And not as in, oh, you know, I just get by, but like actually the nitty-gritty. What is an average day for you? 
right now? What time do you wake up? What's the first thing you do? Like, talk me through it all. You know, I laugh at that because sometimes I get to the end of my day and I was like, how do I actually do this? Um, <laughs> but to get to the nitty gritty, I'm very grateful. Um, the I think it was last year, Anthony um, no longer works fly in, fly out now, thank goodness. Um, because we did that for five years and at the end it was a four and one roster, which if you don't know what that means in mining terms, that's 28 days away and six days back, not including travel, which is a day wow. each way. And, um, I, yeah, I found it really hard towards the end because I was pregnant with baby number three. Um, but he still works long hours. So I still, I guess I have a different, there's a completely different, um, appreciation of of having that end of day and end of day briefing but in terms of nitty-gritty now I'm still like I'm still the primary caregiver of the kids day in day out six days a week um so definitely as hard as it can be at times getting up before the kids where I can is key like that is key to my sanity um even sometimes if the kids wake up before I get a chance to get myself ready I will encourage the older ones to go jump in the cot with my youngest. He's, um, yeah, 16 months and play with him in there so that I can just spend like two minutes getting myself composed, dressed and makeup on, which is what makes me feel like I can take on the day and achieve anything. Um, If I don't do that, trying to do quick makeup with a baby in the room is just not always enjoyable. Um, So it's little things like that. Um, I always, yeah, pack lunch boxes in the morning. And I often do this even if the kids aren't at school or kindy or daycare. Because if you're a mum, you know that you're constantly asked for snacks. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) mum, have a snack, mum, have a snack. So I do find that, like, making this start of the day helps me I guess time hack a little bit and use my time a little bit more wisely um most days I have a child of of sorts with me so um today's actually the first day in eight weeks that I've had no kids with me they are at daycare and school but that's not usual um so yeah I usually have my littlest with me and then the two little leads are with me um she goes my middle child goes to kindy three days a week so Um, we try and do activities in the morning and then nap time is like my key time to power through anything that I need to do from, you know, work perspective. I do try and compartmentalize work to the start of the week when, um, the, on the daycare day so that I can be more present with the kids. And I think, you know, I've really come to realize that sometimes that blend gets a little bit muddled and I need to pull it back and, you know, sometimes it's just, that just happens. It's just part of life, but being aware of it and pulling it back when needed. Um, so yeah, those, those nap times, I only have one napping now. So sometimes it can be a matter of scrambling through what I need to do. And I think until you're a mum, you don't realize how much you can do in a sleep cycle. (laughs) You really power through what you need to get done. Um, I, really do try to switch off in the afternoon. So afternoons when the kids are home, my phone's away. I um, avoid looking at messages. I I try to really be present with the kids, even if it's just for a couple of hours, because I know then if if work and motherhood gets a little muddled, I've got that time and I don't feel it's guilty about it, which I think is a really horrible feeling as a mum, like that, that mother's guilt. Um, to be honest, evenings are when I get as much as possible done in terms of work because 
I guess the minute I wake up, it's hitting your ground, hitting the ground running with kids and, and being a mother. And, um, you know, I guess I have some, sometimes maybe they're a little bit unrealistic, but I have expectations on in terms of how I want to show up as a mother. And to do that, I have to shuffle and juggle my life a little bit. And instead of sitting down and watching TV at night, which, you know, is, is brilliant sometimes, but that's the time when I know I can put in an hour of work and be uninterrupted and get what I need done. So I try and do any tasks that um, don't require too much brain power, but that would take more time um, in the evenings when my kids are in bed. So that's kind of what a day looks like um, in terms of study, which I've gone back to university. Like I said, um, I have been trying to block out little times in the weekend when I can um, saying to the husband, you are in charge right now. Um, you need to take Tagging control. You, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm taking out. And like I said, it's that short, those short, short blocks of time because they all add up and Sometimes it's just having like one thing I found really helpful and this is whether I'm working or whether it's just a, an, a day as a mom, I shouldn't say just a day as a mom, whether it's a day as a mom is having a daily intention. So I try and set these either the night before or in the morning and it might just be one or two tasks that I really, really want to get done and it would leave me feeling fulfilled because what I found last year when I, I guess I was struggling a little bit more with the, the blend and the juggle um, is that... I wasn't setting intentions. So I get to the end of the day and I was like, oh my gosh, I don't feel like I got anything done. I don't feel like, I don't feel fulfilled in the way that I need to. When I reflected on it and really looked at it, I was like, I'm not setting an intention. Like I'm not setting what I actually want to like get done for the day. So of course I'm going to get to the end of the day and I've done a million things, but none of them were the thing that I, you know, I really thoughtfully wanted to do. So Something I'm doing actively now is setting out an intention at the start of the day, like what is the one or two things that I really want to achieve today? Because if I tick them off and I get nothing else done, I still feel fulfilled at the end of the day. So, yeah, I love that. And I'm such a big fan of defining your own fulfillment and your own version of success. And it sounds like you've absolutely been super clear on that for you as well in terms of you know how you want to show up as a mum, but you also want to get the business happening. So you, you know, you steal pockets of time so that your value aligns with what true success feels like for you. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah, it's, it's definitely changed and it changes with every season. And I think, I really do think I've just come out of a really, I guess a tougher season in terms of motherhood with young, you know, the, the new learnings of three children. And then also just the, fact that babies are a, a challenge in themselves like yeah. they consume a lot of your time um but I, I see that that season's passing now and I, you know it's a new season and I think that's that's key there as well is just knowing that it, it, nothing's ever stagnant in time things move and um yeah just setting setting those daily intentions have definitely helped me to yeah remain some sanity and and also feel fulfilled because otherwise I think as a mum you do a million things in a day but you could still get to the day and go that one thing on my mind that I didn't get done. I feel like I failed the day. So yeah, I think it's having those daily intentions is definitely helpful. And, yeah. and particularly when you are, you know, a new mum, and I know that you've been a mum for seven years now, but when you are a new mum or a first time mum, if you've just come out of the workforce and all of a sudden your whole life is this beautiful, tiny little newborn that you're so in love with and you're so excited about, you can 
still at the end of the day, even though you've been doing the most important work of your life in terms of, you know, potentially the most important work of your life in terms of raising your child, you can get to the end of the day and go, holy shit, I've done nothing. You know, I'm still in my pajamas. So setting those daily intentions will actually bring around a sense of feeling fulfilled and yeah, successful, which I absolutely love. Now, I also have heard you mention the term sanity savers. So can you explain what your sanity savers are for when you're feeling stretched? Absolutely. They're essential to my wellbeing. Um, my My key sanity saver is a sanity walk. And I introduced this, I don't even know where it came about, like a couple of years ago. And now it's got its own hashtag, but it really is going for a walk for your own sanity. And I know you mentioned about changing your state. That's essentially what it is. It's like a walk to change your state rather than a walk for exercise. I love walking. It is my favorite thing to do. If you could cross up any exercise, I would yeah, hold on to walking until I, yeah, I'm very grateful that I can walk. Um, and I've always done it with the kids. So the way that it's become a sanity walk is, if in the sometimes it's the afternoon you know the afternoon it starts to drag the kids start to get a little bit um I don't know as kids do in the afternoon we all get three thirty ratty um you know it's pre-dinner and I'm like right everyone we're out we're scooters we're walking and sometimes it's as short as like a five minute walk around the block particularly if it's really hot but the mood when we get back, it's like everyone's mood has changed. So um, where I can, going out on my own with a podcast is definitely my preferred option, but you've got to be realistic with what you've got at the time as well. And, um, you know, I don't have family other than a sister-in-law here, so I don't have the option of like, you know, can you watch the kids? Like it's, they've got to come with me. And so we've just made it apart. So it's like a sanity walk. We often just go around the block. We hunt for bugs. Um, but yeah, that has been a key. Um, for me, I'm, I feel my energy in an introverted way. So I need solo time. So sometimes it's like, um, you know, if if Anthony is home, I'll be like, you need to take over right now. Like I really need, I really need to go um, for my walk or I just need five minutes and I'll go and like sit in my bedroom with nothing, like no sound. I just need quiet. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, like I mentioned earlier, that expectation check-in. So sometimes I set really high expectations for myself that are unrealistic and I need to check in and I need to go, am I saying yes to too many things? Am I expecting too much of myself? Um, So yeah, those are my sanity savers. I would say my top ones. Um, And sometimes... Yeah, sometimes saying yes to things that I would otherwise say no to. Like an example, the other night I was in my pajamas, had a shower, and my girlfriends were like, come over, we're celebrating the end of the school year. And everything in me went, oh, my gosh, like I'm in my pajamas. I I can't be bothered. But I said yes. And it's those little moments where I'm like, that's what I needed in the moment. So, yeah, being flexible with your, your yes and your no and knowing when it serves you to say yes and when it serves you to say no. I love that. And you mentioned how much you enjoy walking and I am totally on board with that. I'm all about movement for me. That's when I process and do my best thinking. And one thing that's been on my mind a bit lately when it comes to things that we as women and mums enjoy is the word fun. So this came up because I was having a conversation with a girlfriend and I was saying, 
you know, I think for women, it, we often blur the lines between what's fun and what's self-care. And that's even if fun gets brought into the conversation at all. So often it's one of those things that just gets taken off the table altogether when you are in the world of parenting and working and blending and juggling and being busy and all of that. So my question for you is, what do you do for pure fun for yourself? This is a good question because it's one I think I need to reflect on more. I think I definitely don't allow as much fun into my life as I could or, um, you know, perhaps would benefit from. I love like some of my favorite things to do with the kids is play hide and seek. It's like my favorite activity and they love it as well. Um, I love cooking in the kitchen by myself. (laughs) Um, And I also really enjoy like having deep conversations with a woman or like just deep conversations over coffee or, you know, whatever it might be. So I think I need to incorporate more of that because I'm very like, I don't know if you relate, but I know um, I'm the first to say, sorry, I'm busy or like, I've got something on here. I can't make space for it. Or, um, you know, I'll fill up my calendar with tasks and forget to schedule in the things that are also important to me personally. So it's something that I think I need to implement more and work on more. So thank you for bringing up that question. I think I, you know, something I admire about you is you really make us think about things um, that perhaps we wouldn't, you know, we would otherwise pull a blanket over or, you know, push to the side. So yeah, thank you for bringing that up. Um, Well, my pleasure. And I have to say that all of the women I've spoken to about fun, most of them have come back and said they can't think of anything. So I think it's amazing that you are able to even think of, you know, the enjoyment that you take when it comes to playing hide and seek, because that's a realistic way for you to get some fun into your day and have some laughs, have some lulls with the kids. So, you know, it is one of those questions that I'm reflecting on myself and it's a big one. And speaking of questions, I would love to finish our chat today. I feel like we could chat for hours, but I will have to finish up our chat shortly. And I wanted to finish with seven really quick rapid fire questions just so that our community can really get to know a little bit more about you. So just give me the first response that comes into your mind here. (laughs) So what is your go-to cafe order for yourself? An almond milk latte half strength. And my reusable keep cup. You're a good girl. Uh, <laughs> sweet or savory? Oh, it used to be sweet, now savory. In one word, describe your mum uniform or your personal style. Mmm, girly. <laughs> and what are your favourite words to live by? Like whether it's a quote or a mantra? This to shall pass it is the key it gets me through everything this too shall pass mm-hmm. it's powerful isn't it because it this is. too shall pass when it's hard and this too shall pass when it's great so yeah. you know let it go and also enjoy every moment now what is your worst habit oh my worst habit probably the oh, good one nitpicking <laughs> Like I think nitpicking at my husband, yes. <laughs> oh, like nagging, like not nagging, like like or oh, backseat driver would probably be another one of my bad habits. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah no, I'd say backseat driver. Yeah, backseat driver. Uh, and what is your best habit? My best habit. Um, 
I would say my best habit would be making lunch boxes, like making sure each day we have nourishing food and food to fuel us. Yeah, you're amazing. I kind of wish you were my wife. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Now, last but not least, what keeps you centred and aligned? You've kind of touched on this, but, yeah, what keeps you centred? Um, I think having yeah, those those core values and always bringing everything back to them. Sometimes uh, you can go off on tangents, but I really try and reconnect and go, whoa, 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 like what are these core values? What am I really wanting to get out of business, life, motherhood? Um, yeah, and always reassessing because things change, things come up, your values change, your not your values, but your perception on life changes so much and evolves so much so yeah I think always taking note and not being afraid to yeah change direction if you need to I love that that's amazing being fluid is so important Mm -hmm. and I think sometimes people try and hold themselves to what they thought in one stage of their life you know they'll think I said this you know two years ago so I have to live by that it's like you know what you're actually allowed to grow and change and evolve and truth is fluid. You can say something that's true today and then something that's true in a month and they can be different things for you. Absolutely. And I think I think if you're not fluid, you can get so stuck and, you know, information, everything that, you know, everything evolves and moves and changes as we grow. Like even the information that we believe is so true through psychology, nutrition, like everything is constantly evolving and changing. So, yeah, I definitely think it's key. Open mind. I love that. Well. It has been an absolute pleasure to speak with you today. Where can our audience, our community, find out more about you? Absolutely. I love Instagram. So her.nourished on Instagram. And then if you're interested and want a resource for kids in terms of mealtimes, then her nourished kids on Instagram is where I'm at. And my other favorite social is YouTube. So that's just Chrissy Ropiha. And I've got like routines and food and healthy on a budget all sorts of videos there but that's like my passion project I love creating video content amazing we'll pop all of those details in the show notes as well so that people can find you with ease but again thank you so much for your time today it's been a pleasure and I can't wait to see what you share with us on stories thanks so much Carly it's been an absolute honor to be in your beautiful space today so thank you Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.